I want to just give a, give a quick disclaimer. If I do my job today, everyone here is going to be agitated. Is that good or bad? Well, that's good. That's good. That's good. Uh, because what we're going to be dealing with are things that potentially could change your life. Now, you say, listen, Rabbi, all the Torah is life changing. It's all, it's all, and that's true. But we're going to be dealing with a lot of the core aspects, a lot of core aspects and our core uh, philosophical, theological uh, roots of our religion. And the hope is that we're going to really address the, the, the uh, major, major issues that uh, make or break our religion. And uh, if we are to accept um, the, the evidence, the proofs, the discussion, it may we may have to deal with some internal turmoil and agitation. That's just a disclaimer off the bat. The plan is to cover a wide range of philosophical, the, even theological. Even that's a, the theology is not a thing that Jews are really good at. We don't talk so much about God. You know, We don't know so much about God. We readily admit that. Maybe uh, you know, the one area is that uh, uh, rabbis are encouraged to say, I don't know. You know, it's like, we don't know so much about it. There's so much about God, at least if you accept our definition of God, that we don't know. We don't know the answers because we're incapable of understanding some things. We're limited, and that's fine. But we will try to discuss that as well. Um, But proofs, perspectives about God, about Judaism, about Torah, and also we're not going to shy away from dealing with some of the problems. And... Because uh, there are some problems, obviously. Maimonides deals with problems, and he de- if he did deal with the problems, so could we. So there are some problems and just things that need to be ironed out uh, to have that uh, strong foundation uh, for accepting, adopting uh, Judaism and Torah as a true uh, ideal. Okay? Now, why is it important? You say, Rabbi, I-, I believe, I believe, I grew up Jewish, I went to Jewish day schools, I sent my kids to Jewish schools, I would go to shul every week, I believe. I'm in. I'm a Karkay member of the, of the tribe. Why is it important for us to go through the motions of understanding what the roots are of our religion? Is that a legitimate question? Yeah. It is. Okay, but the answer is that it's very important for a number of reasons. Number one, in our religion, we do not suffice. It's not good enough for us when someone says, I believe. Right? Belief is often shunned by uh, Jewish uh, literature. Right? Maimonides famously says, we're not trying to deal with faith. We're trying to understand. We're a very cerebral religion. We're very, uh, a religion that's rooted in, 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 in intellectual principles. Right? Abraham uh, became who he is via deduction, via understanding, via calculations, via rationalization, being reasonable. Right? Belief is associated with someone saying, I don't know. But I believe. It's a leap of faith. We don't believe that. So we don't endorse that. Maimonides says, the, 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 the Torah says, you have to know. You have to understand. You have to have firm intellectual roots for what you are doing. You know? uh, the Muslims believe, and the Christians believe, and the, 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 the Hindus believe, and the Tutus believe, and everyone believes. Right? Are we no different than them? Are we just card-carrying members of what our parents and our society and our school and our, our, our neighborhood and our communities told us to believe? Or are we different? Well, we, but, but everyone really is different. And the question is, are we going to be an intellectual cop-out and say, well, I grew up Jewish, I'm Jewish, I'm asking too much questions. Or are we going to say, no, I'm going to examine, 
I'm going to try to see, is there basis? Does it make sense? Is it rational? Is it reasonable? Or am I just uh, settling for uh, a simplistic attitude towards, uh, towards uh, the way I'm going to live my life? So that's number one. The reason why it's important to go through this exercise is um, because faith is not enough. We want knowledge. We want, we want understanding. We want intel, intellectual principles. Number two, the Torah demands of us, da ma shetashiv la'apikoros. You should know what, how to respond to a skeptic. Mm, that's important. There is a responsibility for us to not only understand, but understand to the degree that we could teach. And not only understand to the degree that we could teach, but we could debate with someone who's a skeptic. So deep is the requirement of us understanding what our religion is based upon that we are required to know how to engage in polemics, how to engage in debate, how to convince someone who's a skeptic. So we have to become experts. Basically, we're required to become experts in Judaism. So hence, what we're going to try to do to, in this course is, is, to, is, to, is to try to, to the best of our abilities, become experts, at least in the basic fundamental principles, and to learn a little bit about how, if someone doesn't know, we could teach them as well. Lena, see you have a question. I just wanted to compliment you on the agitation because Azer Connecto is definitely the agitation. <laughs> so, no, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think it's a good thing because... You know, we have we have complacency. Everyone has complacency. Yeah. Everyone, and no one wants to be told that they should be doing more. No one wants to, right? No matter how religious observant you are or how not observant you are, people are very comfortable with their lives. Now, if we today, if we deduce, we understand, we learn that we have responsibilities. That's very, it's very unnerving. It's very disturbing. Right? It's agitating, right? So that's why, hopefully, if we're successful, we'll be agitated as well, and that's then that's okay. And that's you know part of the part of the challenge. I'll say, is that we're going to have to deal with our internal biases. You know, I have a friend who's um, a friend of mine who uh, we meet for lunch every week, and he's a. Uh, we have these debates, like two-hour debates, every, uh, once a week for lunch. It's uh, it's been going on for months and months now, and we're we're on different sides of a certain perspective. And I have so much invested in my side, and he has so much invested in his side. You know, if someone convinced me today that Islam was right, which it isn't, and we'll be able to prove that. It's, that's that's not a leap. But I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to leave younger Israel. I'm going to say, yeah, people my shul, I'm out. I go to the torch people and say, listen, I'm sorry. I just. You know, <laughs> I tell my wife, listen, I'm becoming Muhammad Wolby, right? <laughs> that would be hard for me to do, right? Yeah. Because I have a certain identity. I have a certain place in society, right? It's very hard. We all have who we are as people, who identi- how we identify as individuals. For us to challenge that is very unsettling, right? So we all have a certain bias to keep status quo, to maintain it in the way it is now, and the implications of what we may, dis- may discover hopefully uh, will will convince us that uh, that the Torah is true and it's real, and that uh, that implies that if it's real, that it's binding, and having binding responsibilities is very unnerving. So that's why I wanted to give that as a um, uh, as a uh, a preface, as a disclaimer.
Okay, so what are we going to talk about? So, I don't exactly have the uh, syllabus, as I think it's called. I don't have the, the syllabus plan, but uh, the general idea is we're going to be dealing with the, the Torah narrative. You know, we have, there's a lot of things that are going on in the Torah. We're not going to go, uh, in, in, you know, item by item, individually uh, analyzing each and every one. Uh, but we're going to deal with, is it true? Is it historical? Do we prove it? What's the evidence? Uh, so the, the historical ver- narrative of the Torah, the accuracy of the Torah that we have today, you know, we have Torah, but it's according to the Jewish calculation, it's what, 3,324 years old. Like, how do we know that this is the same thing? And the second, it's not the same thing. The second, we call into question uh, the accuracy of what we have today from the Torah. Well, then the entire, the entire book is in question, you know. If you were to take, uh, let's say, the written Torah, for example, and you say that we could prove uh, or we could question any verse in it or any one verse, then, well, maybe the entire thing goes into question. It means there has to be a certain completeness in the accuracy of what we have today for us to, uh, to claim that our Judaism today is the Judaism that we're supposed to be observing. Are we supposed to be learning, teaching to our children, etc.? So that's why the transmission process of when, let's say, 3,300 years is a long time. A lot of stuff could happen. Uh, and we have a Torah that we claim, at least, is the same Torah, the written Torah. It's all the same, you know, 304,000, uh, 304,805 letters. I think that's the amount of letters in the Torah. All, those are the letters, and it hasn't changed. Well, how, how does that happen? You know, uh, we have 2,000 different versions of the Christian Bible. You know, how, who's to say that our one unified version of, of the Jewish Bible is the same one that we that Moses got? And that's a core principle because the second you question uh, Maimonides' rights, it says that listen, the, one of the 13 principles of faith is that this Torah is the same Torah and it's not changing. Mm-hmm. Because the second there's any sort of uh, debate or, or misunderstanding or question as to the, is this the same Torah? Well, then the whole, the, whole, the whole thing goes out the window. That's another thing that we... And, and hopefully, I think, we will also be dealing with evidence for existence of God, even though that will come in, I think, more as an ancillary uh, discussion more than the primary discussion. Because I think that that's, um, that's something which is much easier... It's, it's an easier obstacle to, to overcome. It's easier... It's, most people already don't have any doubt in that, in that matter as, as well. Okay, so... I wanted to start, um, maybe one more disclaimer. I think that questions are encouraged, like I mentioned. Uh, try to keep them to the point. I'm not going to penalize anyone if they go off topic. Uh, but I also want to encourage people to think on their own, you know, because if we're going to be dealing with, um, if we're going to be engaging in... in Here's the chair. Here's the chair. It's okay. Uh, if we're going to be presenting ideas, and I have a lot of ideas that I hope to present today, I want everyone to to weigh them. Is there legitimacy? And if you have, if there's a problem, we're going to do it together. We're going to try to make a collaborative effort, and everyone participate. I'm not presenting uh, things for you to think. I want to present ideas that we can bounce around and see if it's legitimate. Okay. So I wanted to start off with, I think, what could be considered like a very good starting point for this entire discussion. And that's the idea of the supernatural. If you open up the Torah, you open up even Genesis, and you read a lot of different narratives and stories, 
where supernatural things happen. <coughs> we have Abraham is talking to God. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I've never met anyone, or I've never, that's an experience that we're not familiar with. So the Torah is describing a certain supernatural experience. Uh, we have that with Isaac. Uh, we have that with Jacob. Jacob has a dream, and there's a ladder, and there's angels, and he, right? Abraham accounts those angels. All these stories are ready from the times of Genesis. You move on to the rest of the books of the Torah. Right? Uh, the, the, from the beginning of the Exodus, really till the end, is basically 40 years. So the, uh, if, if the first book of the Torah, of Genesis, is, covers about 2,000 years, uh, the last four, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, are only 40 years. And in fact, Deuteronomy is like only like uh, a couple of days. It's within, with, within one year. And once you get there, you see miracles almost on every page. Miracles, when I say miracles, I mean things that are supernatural, things that we haven't experienced. Right. For example, you see uh, famously the Moses is speaking. To, there's a burning bush, and the b- b- bush is he's able to communicate. He starts to communicate with God. The, he sees a bush burning, and the bush is not being consumed. We're all familiar with that. With that. With that image, uh, we see Moses uh, does miracles. He takes a staff and turns into a serpent. Everyone's familiar with these with, with, with these narratives. We have the uh, the ten plagues. Each of these plagues are supernatural occurrences. Entire Nile River turns into blood. That's a narrative told in the Torah. Uh, the, te- the, the, the ten plagues, all the firstborn dying, the splitting of the sea into 12 different walkable dry paths. Right? A lot of miracles. What we're going to try to do is to say, okay, these miracles, do they mean anything? Right? Suppose they're true. I'm going to try to deal with this very rigidly. Let's assume they're true. What does it imply? Because even if a miracle is true, and we could prove that there was a miracle that happened, if you walk outside and you went across the street and you saw the bayou, and I walked out with you guys and the bayou was all the way oh, very high, and I said, split the bayou, and the bayou split. You would say that's a miracle. You guys saw it yourself, right? But then I say... It implies X. Just because we have a miracle, the miracle doesn't necessarily prove anything, or maybe it does prove something. But we, that, that's a that's a legitimate question. If Jesus walked on water, let's assume it's true. Let's assume it's true, right? Let's assume it's true. Does it imply anything? That's a legitimate question. So all these miracles, what we're going to try to do is we're going to examine. Okay. How could we prove one way or the other whether or not it's true? The veracity, the historicity of said event. Second of all, we're also going to say, okay, fine, what does it imply? Assuming it's true. Okay? Yes? It's interesting how you're starting out with the miracles, and there, there are so many miracles, and you know, we're not supposed to rely on them. We're not supposed to expect the impossible. Um, and the miracles that we have today are Supernatural, but yet it happens. But it's different than the miracles that we see in the Bible. 
Yeah, so I um, I agree with you 100%. When we're talking about miracles, we're talking about things that are out of the ordinary. Uh, so, like, if you took a helicopter and you happen to have had the technology for a helicopter 2,000 years ago, people would be sure that that's a miracle because it's not normal, right? It's not. But we know it's not necessarily supernatural. It's, it's, it's just actually a collaboration of lots of different technologies that are able to, right? If some, if you, the cargo cults. The cargo cults? What's yeah. that? In the South Pacific. The Navy's building, you know, facsimiles of uh, airplanes. And then, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what you're saying, you're, you're saying is a famous statement of Nachmanides, the great uh, 12th and 13th century scholar, who said, yes, the fact that your heart's beating without a, without a battery for 90 years, that's a miracle. It's, just, it's called, considered a hidden miracle because it's so common. And even though, even though science may be able to explain a lot of things, and we're very technologically advanced, there's still certain things that we can't explain supernatural that are miracles that with all of our knowledge we can we can even be more appreciative of everyday occurrences of miracles than because back then it really was superstition I mean a lot I mean a lot of things were unexplainable because the people were not as educated uh, I, I don't understand what you're trying to say like no, I'm just saying that that in the Bible, it just seems like there are a lot of miracles, and for them, I think they were just as miraculous and as supernatural as things that have a lot of explanations today, but it goes beyond the explanations, you know, the babies being born, the hearts beating. You know. So you were saying that, that, that miracles that we view today as supernatural, are they more commonplace? Is that I'm saying that the miracles today are just as amazing as yes, yes, that's that's with th- our understanding now compared to the understanding then. It's they're, they're, they're more so. It's, or more so. Yeah, but uh, but the miracles aren't necessarily of supernatural. Mm-hmm. I think that's your point. I think if you say, hey, l- hey, listen, we have. I think the miracles are, are supernatural. Well, not supernatural, but definition of supernatural no, means it's, it's outside of the laws of nature. Mm-hmm. Nature itself is miraculous. Well, even, even if you explain how babies are born. It's still a miracle. I think everyone would agree. 100%. Well, it's still a miracle. It, well, technically the term natural means that it's in within nature. So, yeah, nature is miraculous, 100%. And I do believe that if you say, if you just think about, if you just think about the miracle of having... Of, yeah, that, that's true. That's true. And also... Um, if you think about the fact that there's 8.7 million species creeping this earth, and just today I saw an article that they found in Peru, these a bunch of species of like um, see-through frogs. And I saw that story. Mm-hmm. Like these frogs that have translucent uh, skin, and you can see inside this inside. Basically, you see like a heart, uh, you know, the heart pumping and the bones, everything. And well, yeah, <laughs> but uh, but. That itself is a miracle, right? The fact, like, how could that have happened without God? It really couldn't. Have. The odds are just too, uh, too, too crazy. It's like, well, it's like subatomic particles that there actually are. I mean, they, they actually demonstrated that they can be simultaneously. I mean, that's just, you know, 
I mean, that's either supernatural or, or you wind up scrambling for all kinds of stuff that just doesn't, you know, just doesn't stand out. I think everything, we're going to make a given that everything was created by God during creation. Every single thing was created by God during creation, and it all flows from there. These are just discoveries that we're, that, that we're yeah. doing now, but it's already been... been, been well, well, yeah, I'm it? saying these, these... Yeah, these... And there should be a distinction between supernatural and just regular living miracles and you're right about like the supernatural of our era was the six-day war that uh, some of the um, pilots said that they don't know how they won that is supernatural God was with them that is very supernatural the fact that the Iron Dome that's supernatural the fact that we found those tunnels that is a miracle otherwise we would be wiped out Rosh Hashanah day Mm -hmm. So that, for me, those are the miracles of today, mm-hmm. and those are supernatural. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, let, let me let's try to qualify our conversation, our discussion. If we lived in in New York in the uh, beginning part of the nineteenth century, and a fellow by the name of Joseph Smith walks over to us and says that the angel gave me these golden tablets that were written in Reformed Egyptian, I translated to English Book of Mormon. I'm a prophet, start, uh, this is a new religion, right? What is the logical question? Who we'll prove it. Prove it. Yeah. If, if we were to be honest, right, a skeptic would say, how do I know that you're not lying? Because there's only one person. That's right. Explaining. That's right. Uh, similarly, if Muhammad told us that, uh, you know, he, he, he had a, a vision of God and he gave him this book of the Koran and he had this wonderful thing and he flew to Al-Quds with his super in his dream and he, with his uh, Al-Baruch, with his, uh, with his horse and he tethered them to, tethered it to the wall and he went up to heaven, he met Jesus and Musa and Ibrahim and all these people, right? What would you say? How do I know you're not lying? If Abraham came over to you and said, I, God told me to go to Israel. And God told me to go uh, live there. And they said, go to Egypt. And they said, go take my son and give him on a mountain. And then I, this, there was an angel. What would you say to him? Prove it. Prove it. Because that's the logical question that we have to... That's the question that we have to, we have to engage if we're... We, all these revelations, all these stories, which are purported to uh, be revelations from God, we have to ask ourselves the question, how do we know that it's not true, that, that, it's, that, it, that it's not baloney, that it wasn't fabricated, that it's, it's actually real? So what I'm talking about specifically uh, is uh, items of narrative that are supernatural, um, Stories that seem to be linked to the formation of certain religions. So, uh, obviously, the Torah we have lots and lots and lots of those, and we're going to try try to see if we could prove one way or the other whether or not these things are accurate or they're historical. Uh, you know, how do we know that that uh, uh, that these things happened? Or, and if these things happened, what do they imply? Of course, there's miracles all around us. Of course, absolutely, those are called hidden miracles, and those are little little pieces of information if we were to harness it correctly we could develop a relationship with God it means if you stop for a second and say oh my goodness I have so much going for me I have oxygen and it's so plentifully available 
on our planet and our planet alone. And if I went to, uh, uh, I don't know, I went to, I guess, Mars or any other planet, there's no, there's no oxygen, right? I would just die within two minutes, right? You know, that's a good exercise. Say, hey, it's kind of nice that, the, that, the, that, that we have so much, uh, the, the right amount of oxygen and the sun is, is actually 92.6 million miles away. And if you're a little further, a little, a little further, a little closer away, we'd all be dead. And the fact that there's a nice uh, wind system that, that, that makes life on inland, not just coastal areas possible, that, that we can have kind of like a, uh, uh, a conveyor belt for, for rain. You know that if we didn't have wind, and this is the only place that we know that has wind, if there was no wind on this planet, you wouldn't be able to live in Kansas City. You know why? Because it will be an, it will be, it will be an arid uh, desert. Why? Because there will be no rain, because the rain comes from the water. And the water pulls it up. And then you have a a cloud, but the cloud is near the water. <laughs> and how does that cloud get to Kansas City? It only gets there thanks to the wind. So yes, these are examples. And, and I think this is um, um, very legitimate. I think it's, it, is, it is remain to, to our subject. Now, we're Jews. We're Jews, and because we're Jews, we have a certain set of beliefs. Now, uh, this may be politically incorrect, even though everyone knows it's true. And that is that our religion is mutually exclusive from Christianity, which is mutually exclusive from Islam. Right? We cannot, like the bumper st- sticker says, coexist. We can coexist, but not one of us is wrong. Right? The, the, the Muslims say, right, if, you don't, if you're not a Muslim, dar al-Islam and dar al-Kharb, which is a basic fun, uh, fundamental principle of Islam. There's the nation of Islam and the nation of the sword. Right? Part of the basic uh, fabric of their belief. Either with us, right? Or you better be with us. So you're a dhimmi, which is a like, lower class, or if, if, if you're a monotheist, or, or, or dar al-Kharb, the nation of a sword. Just, I don't know, what, I, I don't know what any implications. You know, it means peaceful swords, obviously. Um... Christianity says you got to believe in JC. You don't believe in JC, well, eternal damnation, right? Those two things don't coexist. So, in reality, if we really just break it down to the logical conclusion, we have at least a billion people, at least, that are wrong. Super duper wrong. At least. There's no other solution. There's no other, is there any other conclusion that we could say, logically? Well, that's true. I agree. I'm not trying to coerce anyone to believe anything. anything. But if you just take the, uh, the perspective of the two major, quote-unquote, monotheistic religions, just the, just the basic belief, basic belief, they cannot possibly both be true. It's not possible. Judaism, what we believe in, but what you believe in, can also not possibly be true if Christianity or any other religions are true. So... This, I think this kind of raises the bar of our discussion. We have a belief, we have a doctrine, we have a system of tenets that we hold dear, we teach our children, we support our institutions, right? we invest time and energy and we go to classes, right? And we're doing this based on a certain uh, understanding that we're right. If we're wrong, then we're wasting our time. If we're wrong, well, then we better find out that we're wrong and fix it. Because the gravity of this of this decision is very big, very large. How so? It, 
<laughs> now you say, Rabbi, you're 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 preaching a lot, and it's 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 very it's very unsettling. You know, let people believe what they want to believe, and I agree that that's legitimate. But I also think that it's important for us to realize. This is why I said you'll be agitated. Uh, the mission accomplished, right? Yeah, the agitated lecture. Um, but you have to agree that the probably the most important item of information that you have to decide to navigate your life with is what is your basic principles of faith. Now, if you're a Jew, it means you live a certain life. You have certain priorities. Right? You do certain things. Right? Your life is governed by this principle. Right? If this principle is wrong, then you're based. So it's a very important decision where you're going to kind of uh, lay your edges uh, or, or uh, rest your edges or uh, throw your chips and whatever. Rest your head. Rest your head, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm having trouble with this. Yeah. Okay, so the fact that I may believe in Judaism to me doesn't mean that somebody that believes in Christianity or whatever. Whatever it is, it's mm-hmm. wrong. Or oh, it well, well, I remember, I, I didn't say that. I never said that. What I well, said is, what I said is that Christianity and 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 Islam are mutually exclusive. Now, I didn't say that. That I didn't say. Now, we don't believe in proselytizing. This is an important point. Judaism is the one religion that says you don't have to be Jewish to be good, right? Famously, we say is the Talmud declares Maimonides codifies and canonizes that chasidei umot ha'olam yesh lahem which means the righteous of the Gentiles has a portion of the world to come which means you don't need to be Jewish to be good mm-hmm. so thank, uh, thankfully for all of them provided that they're good people you know who do the Noahide laws which is just the basic bare minimum of 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 living a socially acceptable life, they can be good people, and that's fine. But what I said is that the if Christianity that has a my way or the highway attitude, and Islam as well, right? They both can't be right. It means you can't be a good Christian from the Muslim perspective. You can't, and and vice versa. Are we not our saying our way is now? No. Well, for 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 us. For us, the Jewish perspective they is subtly, no. The Jewish perspective is yes, we're right, but it doesn't indict everyone else. And in fact, yeah, and in fact, we 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 discourage yeah. we discourage con- uh, conversions. You know I mean, that. If they were born Jewish, then they would believe the same thing, right? Right, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. So, and there are a lot of good people out there that. I mean, you, you, Jewish philosophies yeah. which have made them good and, and but do good deeds and that accept help all the world, religions as they are. Like they, if they, they are Christianism great. say, if you're not Christian, then you're doing I mean, the same as the Muslim. But we accept them, and right. you know, mm-hmm. so we're the only good religion. And um, a, a perspective. I think this 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 last the conversation. Um, Maimonides famously writes. He says that the role the Jewish philosophical perspective on the role of Islam and Christianity is that uh, in the in the ideal world we are God's ambassadors we are the moral guardians of the world 
Right? We're the light to the nation. That's the Jewish people in their best. Right? We're the ones who are going to teach the world about God. You know, in the temple, it was a temple of Jewish service, but Gentiles were bringing in sacrifices all the time, right? Because because it was a hub. Ki beti beti filaika kolamim. It's a very famous verse. For my home, the temple, is a home of worship for the, all the nations. Right? So ideally, the Jewish people would be the ones to teach the world about God. Now, for whatever reason, we couldn't do it alone, so to speak. And two massive uh, movements, religions, uh, came to be, which started off as offshoots of our religion. You know, uh, uh, Christianity, as we, we well know, it was, it was just a subsect of Judaism for the first hundred years. So Paul came along and started accepting Gentiles and uh, abrogated the law, which said that no, the law is no longer active, and he kind of made uh, Judaism and Christianity to two separate religions. And even Islam. Islam, the, the day of rest of Islam was Saturday. And instead of sticking their tushies to, 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 uh, to Jerusalem, when they bowed down to Mecca, they would also face Jerusalem. Right? The, the, the early Muslims faced Jerusalem. And even the five daily prayers of Islam is modeled after the five oh, okay. prayers on Yom Kippur. There's one day a year that we have five prayers. Oh my God. One day a year. Most days it's only three. Morning, afternoon, evening. On Shabbat and holidays and Rosh Chodesh, today's Rosh Chodesh as well. You have four prayers. So you add the Musaf. And on Yom Kippur, the one day a year where you have five, there's Neil, an additional wow. prayer. So the five uh, is daily Islamic prayers is modeled after the Yom Kippur of the Jewish people. You know, the word for Medina, which is the second holiest place in Israel, the word Medina, what does Medina mean? S- city or state, you know, it's, is it a coincidence that the Islam's second most holy place is, happens to be, have a Hebrew name? Medina. Oh, yeah, Medina, ah, Israel, Medina. Yeah. So, yes, these started off as being somewhat, Muhammad famous, we know that Muhammad tried to court Jews. Uh, but the, the success of these religions is undeniable, and the fact that the majority of, of the world today, if you speak to them about the idea of one God, it's something that they're familiar with. As opposed to 2,000 years ago, uh, when uh, the Roman historian Deo Cassius writes that the Romans had an excess of 30,000 gods, and that was common practice, the Jewish people were the anomaly. We were the only ones. We had this crazy, whacked idea that, that uh, there's only one God, it's only one, and there's no other powers aside from him. That was a, that was a brand new idea. They had a, they had a God for everything. 30,000, according to Deo Cassius now, remember. Roman historians are notorious for uh, exaggeration. But either way, either way, we see that this, this idea of, of monotheism uh, took over the world, basically, in the last 2,000 years. And the idea of the Jewish people teaching the world about God, that was done in tandem with these two other religions that sprouted, as, uh, sprouted out, out of Jewish, out of Jewish um, customs and, and philosophy. So yes, does that address your question, Karen? Yeah? Food for thought, excellent. So those two religions came from Judaism. Well, and the philosophy. Well, we remember, we, you know, the philosophy. The major difference, in my opinion, is we have been tolerant of the other religions. Well, they have not been tolerant of us. Well, that's that that they that's persecuted us. They have expelled us, and they have killed us. But that, in and of itself, doesn't make a religion valid. I don't think. I mean, I'm not. Dis- 
maybe true, but it might not may be true. It is true. Okay. More more Jews were killed by Christianity than any other right. any so other. Accepting religion. that it's true doesn't necessarily mean that doesn't invalidate the legitimacy exactly. of their of the. Well, yeah. if it, if if you believe I mean, that certain... those religions are valid, we don't have a Torah. We don't have anything to believe. Well, yeah, but uh, but that, that that alone doesn't. Well, that might suffice to to what they might believe, but to us, if we believe in Christianity or Muslim, we don't have a Torah. Well, that's true. It destroys that's our true, faith. That's true. But Karen's saying, from intellectual perspective, the fact that they were kind of bad and cruel to us doesn't or just alone. We believe one thing doesn't mean that they might not believe something else. Uh, if you go back before Jesus was born, if you ask any Christian. What was the one true religion at that time? They're going to say Judaism. Forget about Jerusalem. Yeah. Who what was the one right. true religion at that time? It mm-hmm. was Judaism. So they all agree. Yeah, you don't even have to. Do, you don't even have to talk about before Jesus was born. Jesus himself. It's only a hundred years later. Right. You know, and the books, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written according to the earliest estimates, like 40, 50, 60 years after Jesus is dead. So, which is very important, by the way. This is, brings me to our next point. That, and Lynn, you had a, you had a comment. Well, I just wanted to go back to, I mean, Abraham really was the first one. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the Romans were saying about the, you know, that the Jews have the one God. I mean, it goes back, you know. Yeah, we know, for sure. Yes, absolutely. Okay, with Abraham. And, and really, when you look at it, Abraham was the first one to start this idea when you were saying originally about, how do you prove when Abraham says, God talked to me and he said, you know. Yeah, that, that we're still an open question. Right. So, but it seems like everyone accepts this idea of the one God, which actually came from Abraham. That's right. That's right. So, That's right. But that doesn't prove anything. But it legitimized, but it seems like the world accepts this idea of monotheism, which that's true. And you're bringing a very interesting point. You're saying, listen, and I think uh, Panina hinted at this point. You're saying, listen, uh, what um, what the Christians and Muslims are doing is what's called replacement theology. What they're going to do is they're going to say, listen, the Jewish people, the Torah narrative, the Sinai experience, the whole thing, 100% accurate. They're not contesting a single letter in it. Nothing. Right? However... The Jews screwed up. The Jews didn't do their job, right? And it was given over to us. We 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 replaced them. And the the, the Christian, the Muslims say the same thing. The Muslims say, yeah, of course, JC was this, and Musa was that, Moses Moses was that, and Ibrahim was that, and for sure. And but they lost it, and now we're the final ones. So they're all agreeing that at one point in time the Torah was valid. And what's interesting is that if the Torah ever was valid, it always is valid. Because we know three places in the Torah it says that this is the final Torah. Don't add, don't subtract. Twice in uh, Deuteronomy 4 and once in Deuteronomy 11. Right? It says it multiple times. That's just off the top of my head. Multiple times in the Torah, and it indicates it many times that this is it. There's no adding. We don't, you know, the, the, the book of Joshua, the book of Samuel, all these other books that came after the five books of the Torah don't have any mitzvahs in them. They don't notice that? The, the mitzvahs that we have. How many mitzvahs are there in the Torah? 613. How many of them are written in the five books of the Torah? Every single last one of them. Why? Because the Torah that we have, the instructions that we have, was sealed with Moses. That's it. The book of Joshua, the book of Samuel, the book of Kings, all the subsequent books, 
says the Talmud would not have been written if the Jews didn't sin. I.e., they only were a product of the lessons that the, that the prophet uh, in their generation felt the need to teach the Jewish people about because they might have a use for it. <coughs> but if the Jewish people are not sinned, then you wouldn't need them because they, don't, they, contain, they contain no mitzvahs. Why? Because the instructions for the Jewish people start and end in the Torah. And that's it. There's no adding, there's no subtracting. And the Torah says that if you have someone who says and wants to change something, that's a false prophet. If a prophet comes and says, I want to change one iota of the Torah, that's, a, that's, a, that's an indication of, of, of him being a false prophet. And you will be an eternal nation for me. What does that mean? It means it ain't changing. And the second you admit, there's a certain admission uh, to the fact that it was once true, it always is true. Okay? Uh, I wanted to get to my point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, before, before, before we finish here, because um, so we have all these miracles in the Torah. We have the mir- and and the question we have to ask ourselves: How do we know it's true? And also, what does it imply? Those those are the two questions: How do we know it's true? What does it imply? And uh, if Joseph Smith tells us that he had miracles, we say: How do we know it's true? And he says, well, I told you, well, then he's lying. Or maybe he's not lying, but we don't know. It's very, it's very weak evidence. Muhammad says he has a dream. It's also a question, right? Uh, Paul on the way to Damascus has a revelation. We say, how do we know, right? Abraham says to his people, uh, Abraham says, I, God spoke to me. We say, prove it. prove it, exactly. So we have many miracles in the Torah. How do we know that these things are any different than the miracles of other religions and uh, how could we be so sure that uh, these miracles are significant? Now, the significance of us, so so what, what, who cares if it's, if it's, if it's accurate or not? Right. Our Torah, our religion, our Judaism is governed by this book, by this document, more than anything else. Everyone would agree to that point. I think across the spectrum of, of Jewish perspective, if you were to say which one document represents Jewish ideas, Jewish philosophy, it's the Torah. Everyone agrees. This Torah, if it's not true, then our religion is based on false premises. So, But if it is true, then we know that we're right. And we know that our religion is based on very strong premises. So is there any way, is there any indication, is there any insight that we could take from this book to, 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 to say that it's true? And that the miracles are true, and if the miracles are true, and God indeed did speak to Moses, then we know we have a legitimate document. Otherwise, we say, Moses, you're trying to tell us that you had this revelation from God. I didn't see it. How do we know it's real? Supposedly the nation saw it, but that was so many thousands of years ago. Ooh, okay, when he dropped the bomb. Well, that was the Sinai. Mushrooms. <laughs> there is a qualitative difference between the miracles that were told from other religions. I'm not trying to bash other religions, as I mentioned earlier, but just the the, the, the qualitative difference between those miracles and miracles in the Torah. And I want to build this up uh, from from the ground up. We all know this is a simple, basic understanding. You cannot get a thousand people to all collaborate on a lie. Much less three million, right? It's not possible. If it were to be possible, right, we could do a lot of things. We could start religions, no problem. 
right? But if you look at all the 40, 42,000 religions that we have, the extant religions we have, none of them share the same qualitative factor of the, of the, of the nature of the revelation like we do. Every religion starts the same way. Every single one. There is a prophet or someone who claims to be a prophet who says, I have a certain vision, I have a certain insight, I have a certain prophecy, and now I have a doctrine, right? God told, God came to me and said, you're the man, Muhammad, right? And here's the Quran, and this is what the people should do, right? Joseph Smith, uh, uh, Paul, every religion is the same. Mm-hmm. Judaism, the revelation was on a published stage. Millions, we'll get to your point, like you said, millions of people that saw it. Now, I want to say another po- important point. We think of the revelation, the Sinai experience, as being a one-day experience. And indeed, what happened at Sinai was a one-day experience of national prophecy. How do we know it's national prophecy? Because it says in the Torah. Remember, it's a claim. We'll say how to know the claim is accurate. That's the next question. That's the claim. Right? You open the book of Exodus, and it's, it's very important. We have a movie uh, from 1956, which portrays the Jewish people, and Moses going up to get the Torah, and Jewish people going to, 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 to do yeah. right, the sin of the golden calf. Right? And that's false imagery. Just open the book. Take any copy of the Torah. Go to, the, go to Exodus chapter, chapter 20, or, uh, 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 or Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4, when it talks about the sign, just read what it says. And everyone saw, every single one saw, every single person was there, and they had prophecy. And it says it again and again and again and again. And remember, this is the claim. We'll see how we know it's accurate. The claim is, the story goes, all the people had this prophecy, and that was the foundation of the religion. Where all the people have the prophecy? That's right. Which, which, which means... Yeah. Prophecy means a communication with God. And God tells the Jewish people the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. They have these, you read what the scribes said, it describes it says that they're seeing things, they're seeing this crazy fire, right? They're, yeah. they're, 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 they're seeing yeah. sounds. It says, the entire nation yeah. is seeing sounds. It's yeah. describing something that, which is, which is uh, the entire nation. Remember, that's the claim. And when he says, how do we know it's accurate, which is the next point. No one else has this claim. The legitimacy of the claim is still in question. But the claim that for the foundation of our religion is different than every, than every other religion. Why? It's not just one guy Muhammad, one guy uh, Paul, one guy Joseph Smith waking up and saying, this is my revel- I had a revelation. Rather, it's millions of people claiming that. Or at least the book says a million people claim that. Okay? Yeah, that's true. And we'll, we'll get to how we know that that's accurate. Next thing. It's important to mention that this is not the only time that the entire nation, according to the book, the entire nation experienced a miracle of prophecy. In fact, they lived 40 years and they consumed mana. Okay, this is remember according to the book. Don't lose that point. They, where did they have to drink? There was a rock, enormous rock. This is according to the Torah. There was an enormous rock. Right? Moses hit a rock. And just torrents of water just came out and just kept them uh, giving the Jews to drink. Every day, food fell out from it. Every single day, their clothing grew with them for 40 years. You know, a lot of people, people don't know this, but like there was a cloud surrounding the Jewish people during the day. Right. It flattened out the mountains. They were just able to walk. It, there was a, at night, there was a fire. This is continuous, ongoing miracles to the Torah, according to the book. We'll get to how they know the book is accurate. But it's narrative of ongoing miracles. The entire Jewish people were there who, who went, went, through the, went through the Red Sea. Right? What about, you know, for example, people witness Christ walking on water? Okay, that's, that's a very good question. That's a very good question. Because, uh, okay, let me quickly answer your point. 
how do you know that's true? It's documented. Where's it documented? No, but many people witness it. I'm not talking whether it's documented. But many people okay, but remember, you have to go through the whole story. Let's, many people witness it according to which document? According to the Gospels. When were the Gospels written? 60 years later. Also, okay. there's lots of versions of the New Testament. That's the difference. That's true as well. Many versions, yeah. Uh, that's true as well. And, and as opposed to the Torah, this is this is the next important point. It's national prophecy. It's national miracles. It's an ongoing Moses. We know that a lot. Of the, I think it's one thing that people don't know. Moses, you read at the end of Exodus, Moses had a certain uh, a shine to his face. It was so bright they had to wear a mask. Are you familiar no. with that? No. Ever heard that? No. Yeah. You know, Moses wore a mask. Yeah, it's in Exodus. You got to read it. Moses wore a mask because his face was like the sun. People couldn't bear it. They couldn't deal with it. Moses. He would take off the mask. It's in the book. It's in the book. So remember, the book is claiming that there's not only this one massive event or splitting the sea, or this one massive event of all the templates, or this one massive event of the Sinai experience, it's an ongoing event. They see Moses for 40 years, right? And they're, they're, they're having manna come from, from the sky for 40 years. Okay, now, next very most important point. This is all documented in a book. Who got the book? Who wrote the book? When is the Hashem. dating of the book? Hashem wrote the book. Well, Mo- no, 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 Moses no, no, wrote the sorry, book. I'm sorry, I'm no, sorry, no, 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 no. Moses wrote the book, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrote the book it, yeah. and Moses delivered it to this very yeah. same people who had these experiences. This I cannot stress this point enough. Mm-hmm. Moses gives the book to the people who could easily verify whether or not this is true. Like, if I was Moses, and we just went 40 years in the desert, and we, we were starving the whole time, and I gave you a book, a book describes manna falling from heaven, you say this book is garbage. Would you start observing the Shabbat and not collect twigs on Shabbat because the silly butch says so? Wasn't the book delivered before they left the wilderness? Moses, the day before he died, wrote 13 copies of the book. Mm-hmm. Gave one, gave one, and it says, and Moses wrote and one gave to the Jewish part. people. Right? The book part. itself was given to the Jewish people, to the people themselves. It wasn't years later someone came up with this book and says, oh, the stories, and everyone forgot about it. And the book claims that there's millions of people. Nay, the book claims specifically, I don't want, I want to be accurate here, 603,500 adult males between the age of 20 and 60. That's what it says. We can assume there's a corresponding amount of females. We can assume that there's some youngsters and old people. right? Yeah. So the assumption is that it's at least a million, uh, five, but maybe up to two million, three million, who knows, right? That's the safe assumption, right? But millions of people saw this. They lived it. It wasn't just something that you could wake up in the morning. Ah, uh, what did we see? I don't know. What did we saw? Maybe there's a lightning, a lightning show. And, and Moses comes the next day and says, oh, what you saw was God. No, it was ongoing miracles. And it's in a book delivered to the very same people who experienced it. If, if, Mo, if Moses was making up the stories, right, the Jewish people never adopt the book. Remember, the book is weaved narrative and instruction. Narrative and instruction. It's one book that has that has stories and it also has instructions. And these instructions can be very difficult, very challenging. Right? If if you received the book from Moses, okay, and you knew that there was even one letter about it that wasn't true, you wouldn't observe all these mitzvahs. You wouldn't say, I'm not eating this, I'm not eating that, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. You wouldn't be 
all the laws, very difficult, very restrictive. No one would do that if they knew it was baloney. And we have documentation. We know the Jewish people are fastidious about observing their religion. Right? We know that. How could such a religion have got started if it didn't happen any other way? Finally, so let's work this out. Give me a scenario where it's possible for the Jews. Now, the only scenario is there are a bunch of retards. They have 3, 000, 3 million retards. But that's not plausible. You know why it's not plausible? Jews. Because Jews are the only ones that can be retards. Right? No other nation has this story. We our mothers if we were. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And in fact, I want to say another, another point. If you look, I'll, I'll give you the source. I think it's very important to read this. I would advise everyone to find a Deuteronomy. Read chapter 4. Just read chapter 4. Because what I'm saying right now is basically chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. And it says, and it makes a prediction. And it makes a prediction. If you read the prediction, you say, how could the Torah make such a prediction? It says, never has there been and never will there be a claim of this sort. The Torah makes a prediction that there will never be a claim of any nation, of any religion, that, has, that they have, they've had national prophecy. Never. A claim. What do you mean? How could you possibly make such a How could the Torah make such a prediction? How could the Torah predict that for the next uh, foreseeable future or for eternity, there will never be a religion that will start off with the same narrative? You know why? Because the Torah is true. And the Torah is able to tell, to know that this is the only time that this will happen. Why? Maybe some charlatan will make up such a story. You can't make up such a story. It's impossible because it's easily proven to be false. Right? If Moses didn't give the Jewish people the document, the Jewish people would never accept it. What do you mean? The document itself says that Moses gave it to the Jewish people. If the Jewish people never had these, had these uh, traditions or, or, or these experiences in the, in the desert... They would never adopt it. It says so many miracles, ongoing miracles. Right? And it talks about them. And it says, the manna, it talks about it in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. Yeah. We know. It's from beginning to end. Yeah. The water from beginning to end. The episode of Moses, right? These were miracles and prophecies and supernatural way of life. That wasn't just some dude, one individual. It was the entire nation. The Mount Sinai experience, the most significant, the most significant experience of the, of the, uh, uh, in history, Experienced by everyone. The whole Ha'am and the entire nation saw it. And this is a book that the Jewish people adopted in its entirety. We still have it today. We're still dedicated to it. How would we have begun our adoption of it if it wasn't true? Imagine, let's let's paint this scenario. Let's say my name was Ezra. A lot of people say, oh, Ezra wrote the Torah, right? You heard that. Oh, uh, Ezra wrote the Torah. Unless, uh, if, uh, unless you say that the Jewish people were um, incredibly unintelligent, which is, which is that's the, only, the only solution, uh, which is unlikely, right? Because, you know, there should be even, you know, there should, can't even be one. We have no record of any, you know. Let's say Ezra came and says, you know what? He collects a bunch of people, says, you guys are descendants of these people who had this wonderful experience at Sinai, and they were, when they were in Egypt, and the what's called, everyone forgot about it, and I'm the only one who has a record of it. And here's the book and start observing. What would they say to Ezra? Say, wait a minute, Ezra. Yeah, what? Yeah. How come you're the one who remembers this? Yeah. Right? How come I don't know about this? this? If this tradition happened, how come you're the one who has some sort of record of it? Plus, how come we remember? How come we Jewish people don't have a record of this guy who restored Judaism? It wouldn't get started. The only way for us, 
for the centuries, and we, it's been documented by by secular sources, by non-Jewish sources. Ready, with the Torah was an obsession of the non-Jews. Ready, uh, twenty two hundred years. Ago. We have the Septuagint. We have the Greek translation of the Torah. The Torah has been in non-Jewish hands for twenty three hundred years. It was a huge deal for a long, long, long time. Right. Uh, when did it get started? If not, if if not in, in this situation, yes. I was just gonna say that. First generation that witnessed all the miracles, the fact that God, um, after they disobeyed, you know, there were ten big incidents where they really violated uh, the laws, and God said, "Okay, you're not going to go into Israel." At that point, um, I mean, it doesn't really say anything else about the first generation. It doesn't say they all committed suicide because they're not going to be led into the land. They continued to teach their children until they all died well, out. Moses was still there. Right. But, I mean, the that first generation, they continued to teach their children. So one thing that I think is, is amazing about the Jewish religion, in addition to having all these witnesses initially, was that it was, it was, um, it was taught by that first generation to the next generation that was actually going to go into Israel um, every single day because the second generation knew Plus, they were getting manna delivered outside the tent every single day. And you know what? I mean, but they but they had that commitment Mm -hmm. to the Jewish religion because they saw if it's not observed, you know. That's true. But I, I think, Can I just yes, say one thing? And to thing. her point is that it has continued exactly that way. That's the thing Well, that's, that's so maybe amazing. we'll deal with next week. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the amazing part the, of this. Yeah. Uh, because there aren't all these different versions and everything, and every, people follow exactly the same mm-hmm. laws, exactly the same way all over the world. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. I, I want to say uh, back to our, our, our point that we mentioned earlier. We said if, if, if Abraham comes over to us and says, I had a prophecy... Right. If let's say Abraham did come over to us and say, "I have a prophecy," you know what we would say? Prove it. That's you. Right. And Jacob says he has a prophecy. We say, "Prove it." Right. The only way that we know anything is because we know for sure that Moses was a true prophet. Now remember, right? Uh, I am a verified, especially with Torch, we're verified non-prophets. I'm for sure not a prophet. But Moses, we were all there. We saw, I mean, or that generation saw Moses. Go up to the Torah. Moses, Moses, they heard booming. Moses comes to the mountain. They had this experience where Moses was the prophet. They knew him. They saw his face. They had to wear a mask. Imagine if you see someone whose face is as bright as the sun. He he had to wear a mask. You know, Moses went up to the mountain. He disappeared for 40 days, right? Without food or drink, nothing. Just he's up the mountain, gone. You know, isn't that, isn't that why the Christians have translated as as own? That's right. Because he had he had shines, rays of shine. Uh, the verse says he, the verse says he Quran or Panav. The word Quran, not Quran. Not, not the, that Quran. Quran means very bright, but it also means care. The word Karen spelled the same way it means a horn. Uh, so Michael Angel's that, Moses has yeah. horns on him. Well, yeah. As well, they say that the Jews have horns because of that. Yeah, but... I know that the people who were going through the wilderness, all these people saw it. Yeah. But what about the 2,000 years before? There wasn't the same generation. 
So that's that's a good point. If Abraham yeah. Abraham could not have been the right guy to give us the Torah. You know why? Because we didn't know he's a prophet. He was a prophet. How do we know he's a prophet? Because Moses tells us. Moses is a different qualitative prophet. We say Moses is the father of all prophets. What does that mean? One of the 13 principles of Maimonides, Moses is the father of all prophets. What does that mean? Abraham lived hundreds of years beforehand. What it means is that if Abraham told us that, a prop, that he was a prophet, we would say we have no idea that we, we don't know you're true. Yeah. right? We don't know. However, because Moses says, Moses gave us a book that says that Abraham was a prophet, and Moses is reliable, and he's demonstrably reliable because we were there when we saw he was a prophet. It was clear to everyone. Therefore, Moses' word is true. So if Moses tells the only reason why we know Abraham was a prophet it's because Moses told us. And we know that Moses is telling the truth. Okay. Hence, the only reason why we know that anyone else is a prophet is because of, is because of Moses. Moses is the father of all prophets. Right? Moses has been verified. Moses was there. Right? Hence, the Torah, the, the, the most famous verse, the most, the most uh, common verse in the Torah is, Vayomar Shem Moshe God spoke to Moses saying. Right? We know that when Moses comes and tells us, God told me this, we know he's a prophet. So did God tell Moses about Adam and Eve, Abraham, Isaac? Well, the introduction of Nachmanides, he said, introduction to the Torah, he says that God tells Moses, write Bereshit, write Bara, write Elohim, right? right? Yeah. It's, it was so dictated, dictated to Moses by God. Now another point, yes. Well, in addition, I mean, there were 10 generations from Abraham to, to Moses. That's right? right. And so when Abraham, he taught 10,000 people in his travels with Sarah, so Well, Moses was the descendant. Those ten, those ten thousand people that you're referencing uh, from Genesis, we don't know where they are. We don't know where they are. They're gone. I think that's a false premise there. Well, no, it's it's not a false. It's not a false. Um, well, because we don't know. We nobody knows what Abraham did. Well, we know what the Torah tells us. The Torah said, but not that's at right. the time. We don't know. It seems likely that those ten thousand disappeared because we have no record of them. Maybe their souls are somewhere, or whatever. Moses picked, it up, Moses picked it up from. No, Moses didn't need that. Moses is the right descendant. No, but I'm saying in addition to what you're saying. Maybe, the, maybe this influenced the greater <laughs> world because those, but those were not his descendants. Abraham's descendants, uh, and especially Isaac, as the verse says, Isaac is the is is the is the spiritual heir of 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 Abraham, and Jacob is the spiritual heir of of Isaac. So, and the tradition was taught from, 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 them, from then on down. But remember, if Abraham comes to us and tells us, I'm a prophet, we have no way of verifying that. Okay, so Moses, on the other hand, there's millions of people that experienced him being a prophet. They heard, they saw with their own eyes, they heard with their own ears, read Deuteronomy uh, uh, chapter, four. chapter 4, or, you know, read what it says in, in Leviticus, I think it's chapter 20. Read what it says. It says clearly that, you know, and we got the book from him, and if we didn't, then the book just falls and we throw out the book. And no one dedicates their life to a religion where they know for sure it's, it's, it's untrue. No, it was part of the family. It's part of the family. Yeah, it's part of the family. Uh, uh, the idea of monotheism for sure. Uh, but, but, uh, 
Yes, we know that Abraham made, made tremendous outreach efforts. And like you said, the, the, he taught a lot of people, but we don't know where the people are now. Because you, know? you know what? They didn't have the Torah to keep, to keep that, to keep that uh, in place. So, so, so you're saying that Moses got the idea of monotheism from God? From his parents. Yeah. From Amram. Uh, Amram and Yocheved, his parents. Right, right. And so when he was nursing with Yocheved, she was teaching him. She was teaching him. So where did she get it from? She got she it got from from the generations before, right? Moses, I mean, Moses wasn't, but Moses wasn't a descendant from them. It was just 10 generations after Abraham. Uh, it was actually 10 generations. I think it was a little yeah. bit less. Well, it was 10 from Adam Mo- to Moshe, Abraham, Amram, Yitzhar. Yitzhar. I'm trying to remember. Adam to Abraham, <laughs> 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 I know you're at home. No, it's 10 from Adam to Noah and 10 from Noah to Abraham. Oh, 10 from Noah to Abraham. Yeah. Uh, it was less. It was less. No, it wasn't ten. I think it was like six, according to my calculation. Uh, yeah. Well, well, Moses. Moses was already. Um, Yocheved was the daughter of Levi. You know? Yeah. So then Moses, Yocheved, Levi, uh, Yaakov, Yitzchak, and Abraham. So that was the beginning of faith there, in essence, because mm-hmm. people in Sinai saw that, but then they went on faith that. Yes, means once yeah. Moses has been verified, and it, yeah. it's just they again and again. Because he was truthful with that, that. Well, they knew. They didn't assume. They knew he was a prophet. They had no doubt about they that. Saw they saw it. Yeah, there was it was all clear. So this process, I know, it was a little bit uh, convoluted way that we ended up here, but this is the point. It's 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 it's, it's a very important point. We have a revelation. We have national revelation as recorded in the Torah. The Torah is a very important document. The Jewish people had adopted. In mass or in on mass, whatever how you pronounce that, I'm not French uh, or Latin or whatever it is, <laughs> right? The Jewish people adopted this document because they knew it was true. If they didn't, if they didn't know it was true, they would have discarded it. And who got the document? It wasn't that they got it 60 years later. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write a book about Jesus. No, it's historical. It's contemporary. It's contemporary to Moses and the people whose story is told in the Torah. Those are the people that received the document. Right. And if, if not, then the book is easily pr- proven false. And if it's easily proven false, we know that people aren't going to change their lives and live a very, very stringent, rigid uh, behavior as, as, as dictated by a book if they know that for sure the book is true. So this is a way that we can easily, um, it's not, I won't say easily, but this is how we know. This is how we know. And we have evidence. And someone comes up and say, hey, you guys are no different than everyone else. You're just faith. You just believe because that's when you grew up and that's your family, that's your school, that's your shul. That's... No, we say no. We have a legitimate argument, a legitimate claim, reasonable, very logical, and we have yet to be, uh, there's never, there's yet to be uh, any, any questioning to this logic. And, um, and if there is, um, I'd love to hear it. If anyone have, finds a hole, we have a week now. We'll be, we'll, we can be in here next Tuesday. Find a hole in the argument find the hole in the argument. If there is, it's legitimate. We're trying to find the truth. Is there a hole in this argument or is this document true? Rabbi, I have a question. Yes. As great as Moshe was, why do we start our So this is very similar to the question Susan asked me a couple of weeks ago. There's something distinct about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, them being the founders and the fathers. They're the only people that allow to be called fathers. Right? Uh, uh, Avraham Avinu, Yitzhak Avinu, Yaakov Avinu. We, we say Moshe Rabbeinu. Yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu. We say Moshe Rabbeinu. Exactly. Teacher. He's not exactly. So there's something, I, I was actually, I discussed Why? this with some people. Why I said, I asked him yes, that. there's something uh, distinct about 
the the tchunot, the midot of the forefathers that is demonstrative or uh, to the entire Jewish people. All Jews are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as opposed to not all Jews are descendants of Moses. So if you look at Judaism, who's the fathers of our religion? Who do we come from? Who are our antecedents? And not only physically, but also spiritually. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses was a Jew. He was greater. No one, according to Jewish philosophy, Moses was greater than all three of them. That's, that's Jewish philosophy. So it's not about greatness. It's about association as being the father of the, of the nation. Make sense? You're like, yeah. Okay. Uh, if anyone has any questions or any or wants to discuss further, please don't hesitate to email uh, why won't be at torchworld.org or check me out on my website, rabbiwolby.com. Huh? Great class. Thank you. Yeah. Rabbiwolby.com. 149, soon to be 150 uh, audio classes.